Genesis chapter 4, and uh, just uh, a couple of comments before we jump into the scripture. We're just going to read verses 25 and 26, and then I want to encourage you later today to read chapter 5, which is a genealogy, probably your favorite sections in the Bible. How many of you love genealogies? Raise your hand. All right, look, we got a couple, a couple, about the same as uh, last service. And you know, I th- look, look, just to be fair, so you don't feel guilty, because I know some of us are like, man, I'm just straight up skipping over the genealogies. And some of us are, we do that because we can't even pronounce the name. So why, why even give that a shot? But the truth is, the genealogy is maybe one of the most important portions of Scripture uh, in the book of Genesis, and we're going to talk about how that is the case. We're wrapping up Adam and Eve's life, like obviously not in totality, but really this is, these are the last pieces of the historical record of what God was doing in their life. Super important here, and it for sure ends on a high note. Notice with me, the Bible says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth, for, and just notice what she says, for God has appointed another seed, so you know you're tying that back in your mind to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. Uh, that was the promise that God gave to Eve that through her seed there would be one that would crush the head of the serpent. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born And he named him Enosh. And then check this out. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. And in your Bibles, the word Lord is in all capital letters, which of course means the name of God. This is the first time the name of God appears in the Bible. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for these final words in Adam and Eve's life that really do bring such courage and strength to our hearts. God, we pray that there would be a reviving work Uh, through the power of your Holy Spirit, of hope within us. Father, in a time where we just see so much fragmentation and, and acrimony and division and confusion and fear, God, so much hopelessness. God, we consider the, the rise of the suicide rate and depression. God, if ever there was a time Where people needed you and your hope, now is that time. And so, God, may we be anchored. Of all people, may we be anchored to those things that will produce real, solid, biblical hope in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. Now, hey, so I want to start with a short story. This is is actual history, so this is not fiction, but it's... um, it's ties to our message today. It goes like this. 20-year-old Catherine Buckley had decided to wear her white blouse with a blue serge jacket and a skirt that night. It didn't really matter. What she ordered for dinner didn't matter either. She might as well have rung up a big bill and gorged on sweets all evening. Where she sat, what she said, how she looked, the $5 note in her purse, her plans for tomorrow, none of it ultimately mattered. Why was that the case? Because it was midnight, April 15th, 1912. Catherine was a third-class passenger on the Titanic. And in a few short hours, the Titanic would be two and a half miles under the ocean surface, and Catherine's lifeless body would be recovered by the cable ship McKay Bennett. I think about 
just the condition that this woman was in, the situation that she was in, and of course, there was no way that she could have possibly known that this 24-hour period would be her last period. But if she did, if she did know, if in fact, somehow, there was a, a realization that the ship was going to sink, how would she have lived those final 24 hours? Now, um, obviously, it would make a significant difference whether or not she was saved, uh, because if she was saved, you know, even in those final 24 hours, she would have found purpose. She would have found meaning. She wouldn't have wasted her time. She would have understood that those were valuable moments that were given to her by God. They were like little treasures, little gifts, uh, and she would be able to live them with, with, with real purpose. She would understand the value in them. She would be able to get after the purpose of God, understanding that Every person that God placed in her life in that 24-hour period was nothing short of a divine appointment, that those were amazing opportunities for her to plant the seeds and to share the gospel for what might have been the, very, the person's very last time to respond to Jesus Christ. If she was a believer, she would have been able to do this with hope because she would have known that the last breath she would have taken on planet Earth would be the first breath she would sim simultaneously be taking, taken in heaven. She would have been unafraid of death. She would have been consumed with fear because she would have put her trust and faith in Jesus Christ. On the other hand, if she wasn't a believer, then she could have viewed these final hours, these final opportunities as valueless, as without purpose, as without meaning, and, and maybe that would have been the condition of her heart, knowing that the end was near and that there was no way to avert it, knowing what was going to happen, that she would soon be dying. She would have been filled with an overwhelming sense of hopelessness that would have covered her life like a dark cloud. And you know, truly, it makes a huge difference. When we go through crisis, it makes a huge difference whether or not we put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And you can see, I think, in our culture, right, because, you know, we are in the midst of a lot of crisis. Now, albeit, there's a tendency for us, rightly so sometimes, to say, well, you know, we need to consider everybody else's crisis, too. Because if we were living in China, or if we were living in the Middle East, or if we were living in a third world condition, you know, the, the, the crisis would be so much greater. And while that's true, I just want you to set that aside and just acknowledge that the crises that we're in right now really do have an impact, and they really do hurt, and we really do feel the pain of it in a subjective, existential way. And what we see, I think, as we look at our culture is we see hopelessness. You know, if you just look at the statistics, you see that clinical depression is on the rise. You see that the suicide rate is increasing in an exponential way. This was one of the reasons why early on, year, over a year ago, when, you know, there were, we weren't allowed to have large gatherings, we made the decision to meet together as a church because we have a mandate to fulfill in our community, and that is to bring the hope of Jesus Christ to those who are hurting. Right. <clears throat> But listen, like, I mean, you have to be living in a cave not to be able to see that there is an overwhelming sense of hopelessness. And, you know, and as that hopelessness kind of sinks into people's lives, uh, they, they begin to react in certain ways, looking for something to hold on to. And the truth is this, some of that has even crept into the church. 
Some of that has crept into the church. You know, we as, a, as believers are supposed to be an influence to this world around us. But the reality is, in many ways, the world is the thing that is influencing the church right now. And so, so some of us, some of us have even struggled during these times with a sense of hopelessness and, and even maybe asking God, you know, what is it that you are doing, Lord? We don't, we don't see it. We can't feel it. And it's causing us to struggle. And setting all of the realities of our current context aside, we go through those struggles on a personal level as well. And those feelings are feelings that we have all experienced. And we're going to talk about today just how we handle those moments. Because while those feelings are real, they always need to be submitted to the truth of God's word. You know, it shouldn't come as a surprise to us that the uh, unbelieving world around us is so overwhelmed with hopelessness because that's what a godless, secular ideology creates. And what we see today is this increasing godless, secular ideology permeating our culture. And it is a hopeless ideology. It has no basis to give people a sense of, of meaning and value for their lives. In fact, one of the bedrock philosophers of this uh, secular ideology, he said this about life. Check this out. And, and this is important because this is permeating uh, our culture today, particularly our institutions of education. He said life, he's talking about life, life is like an empty bubble. Be encouraged today. <laughs> like, I mean, can you imagine talking to somebody and saying, hey, what do you think life is like? And they're like, well, I think it's like an empty bubble. I mean, end of conversation. How discouraging would that be? Hey, there's, there's a veneer. There's a structure to it. But on the inside, it's absent of value. He doesn't stop there. It gets more depressing. Life is like an empty bubble floating on a sea of nothingness. Floating on a sea of nothingness. Man, could you imagine having this as like a core philosophy guiding and directing your life? I mean, how meaningless, how empty. Talk about empty. Talk about without value. You know, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the way the world seeks to deal with this when we get to the Tower of Babel because the secularist idea is, well, it doesn't get any better than, than this. This is pretty miserable itself. And so let's just establish social structures to make it as best as we can. You know, different forms of, of government. And I'm not minimizing the value of those social structures, but... But the Bible says there's another solution. That this is, the, this is the way the Bible presents the story. There's perfection, there's the fall, there's suffering and pain, there's no utopia because God's answer to the problem is not an earthly utopia, but what is there? There is a savior. There is a, are you with me today? There is a savior. So we go from perfection to the fall to pain and suffering and the solution that God provides is a savior. This is the promise that he gave to Eve right there in the midst of the crisis. So let me remind you today, Christian, Christ is the basis for hope in the midst of human crisis. Yeah, that's right. Anybody in crisis today, raise your hand. Difficulty, don't, keep your hand up. Tribulation, difficulty, crisis. All right, we have pretty much a non-suffering second service. Well, listen, we're going to wrap up this uh, series, this mini-series on relationships, and the focus, obviously, today is hope. 
And I think as we look at Eve's life, there are three things that we learn from her about how to handle crisis in our life. And I just want to reread verse 25 and 26. The Bible says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. The word has a lot of meaning to it. We'll talk about that in just a second. But notice what she declares. This is a declaration because there was something she was looking for. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And then, of course, it goes on to say, speaking of this answered prayer, And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. So listen, um, remember, Eve is in a lot of trauma, right? There's just radical crisis. And it's easy for us, like in our Bible reading, it's devotional, and we're just like, bop, 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 Adam, Eve, fall, bad thing happened, Cain, Abel, genealogy, skip that part. And then, and then because we get to Noah, and, then, and the flood's fun to read about. So, you know, we just kind of move on. And we don't really stop and, like, let it simmer. We don't let the story simmer. And we don't put ourselves in Eve's place and think about what it was that she was going through. We talked a little bit about what it was that she would have been experiencing, just the horror and the trauma of the moment. Could you imagine? And I think, look, if you're going to use your imagination for stuff, use it for biblical stuff, please. But use your imagination just to consider the contrast between the Garden of Eden the perfection in communion with God, the bad decision that came, and then the fall, and things progressively got worse to the point where your oldest son murders your youngest son. I mean, could you imagine that? Can you imagine having to handle the reality that what had ensued in the family circle was a total function of your own personal sin? Like, how many times did she think, man, if I wouldn't have been deceived? You know, both of them, Adam and Eve. If we wouldn't have eaten, if we wouldn't have made that choice, our son would still be alive today. I just want you to think, because some of you, you know, you've walked through hard stuff. You know what it means to, to bear pain on your heart and how hard sometimes it is to escape that. You know, when the Titanic was sinking, when a ship sinks, it sucks everything down with it. Like, it's not that you just don't want to be uh, near the ship in the water. You've got to be far away from it because the whole thing starts pulling everything around it down. And when we go through pain, those feelings are so deep and so personal that sometimes it pulls down everything with it. And what was it? What was it that enabled Eve in this moment to, to recognize what it was that God was doing? Well, the first thing is this. She anchored herself to the promise of God. She anchored. She made a decision. She anchored herself to the promise of God. I want to encourage all of us today in the midst of a very general crises that, that you know, we're experiencing together and then also whatever it is that you're dealing with yourself individually anchor yourself to the promise of God. I mean, she truly was in the midst of trauma and the potential for that trauma to pull everything down into hopelessness was a very real thing for her. And I say to you today, hey, listen, you don't want to live your life in a place of hopelessness, but, but the truth is we don't just wake up there one day. It's not like we have a great day and then the next day we, we wake up with no hope. You know, oftentimes what we find is getting to a place of hopelessness is a journey. And the journey starts with misplaced hope. It's when we start hoping in the wrong things. 
Instead of putting our hope in God, we start to look to people around us, or we're looking to programs, or we're looking to policies, or we're looking to social structures. We're thinking that these things are the things that bring us hope. These are the things that will change the circumstances in our lives. These things will make it better. And the truth is that they won't. There is only one thing that really is worthy of your hope, and that is And he comes in a triune, right, a trinity. It is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. When we lose hope, when we misplace our hope, there are five things that we lose in the process. Number one, we lose perspective. When you start placing your hope in other things that eventually let you down, what happens is you lose perspective. You lose a sense of proportion, Things that are small sometimes become overwhelmingly big. You know, I know, I've experienced this in my life. You know, those times where you're going through something difficult and the pain of that difficulty just becomes so immense. It's not the only thing in your life, but it becomes so immense that it seems to eclipse everything else. You know, I give this illustration sometimes. You can walk outside and, and you can look up at the sun and you can put your thumb right in front of your eye and your little tiny thumb can obscure something as big as the sun. Like, how is that possible? Well, when it becomes your focus, when you're so consumed, when this thing has absolutely consumed you, pretty soon you lose perspective. You lose your sense of proportion. You lose the ability to put things in their place. We, we become overwhelmed with the issues and solving the issues and how we're going to address the issues. And pretty soon all we care about is getting out of the problem so we can mitigate our own pain. When you and I misplace our hope, we lose perspective. The second thing we lose is gratitude. We stop being thankful for what it is that God is doing in our life. And listen, I think sometimes that happens because, you know, when we place our hope in things we shouldn't place our hope in, Uh, We stop seeing how good God has been to us. We forget the purpose and the plan that God has for our lives. We get, this is what I'm saying, we get out of alignment. You know, like I I just said, with losing perspective, pretty soon, pretty soon all we're concerned about is, God, how are you going to get me out of this? Right? I don't like the pain. The pain doesn't feel good. This is a problem. And so God solved the problem. Fix the issue. I don't care about anybody, anybody else. I don't really care about anything else. I just want to be alleviated from this. And when that's our viewpoint, we forget that in the midst of the storm, God is doing a work. That God actually has a plan and a purpose for the tribulation that we're walking through. Pretty soon we find ourselves seeking the hand of God instead of his face. Right? We're, we're, we're more concerned about what God can do and how he can act and the prayer he's going to answer. And don't get me wrong. Look, thank God. Can you say that today? Can you say thank God? Say thank God. Thank God he answers prayer. Thank God for the miracles that he does. But we don't just pursue God for the miracle. We pursue him for him. We're not just seeking his hand. We're seeking his face. You know, when we lose or when, when we misplace our hope, Sometimes we lose that sense of gratitude for who God is and all those things that he has done. And really, I think that's the third thing, right? We stop valuing the little things, right? We're, we're so focused on what isn't, 
we stop remembering what is. We're so focused on what isn't. Well, God, when are you going to do this? God, when are you going to fix that? When are you going to supply this? Well, God, what about this? And, then, and, and, and God's like, yeah, I got all that stuff, but how about the stuff that I am doing in your life? How about the stuff that I have done in your life? And you're like, yeah, well, what has God done for me lately? Well, are you saved? Yeah. Are you born again? Are you forgiven of your sin? Are you a child of God? Are you spirit-filled? Are you heaven-bound? Are you accepted in the beloved? Have you been given spiritual gifts? Are you breathing right now? Did, did you get Starbucks on the way here? I mean, has there been sufficient provision for you? Look, I'm just saying, I'm just saying today, like, those aren't little things. Those are not little things. Those are big things. And sometimes the way back to hope, listen really carefully to me today. Sometimes the way back to having a life filled with hope is to acknowledge those small things that God has done in our life that we've lost a sense of value for. It literally is stopping and counting our blessings, right? It's bringing the struggle and the trial, the pain and the suffering, the reality of all of it. And still in light of that saying, God, you know what? Thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the incarnation. Thank you for the resurrection. God, thank you for the ascension. Thank you that you reached into the pit and you pulled out this foul, smelly, filthy, nasty sinner. And I'm not the only one here today. Thank you, God, that you reached into that pit when my fist was raised to you in rebellion and rejection and you didn't stop, right? I mean, we're talking about God not stopping, God doing things when we don't see it. How about before you were even saved? How about before you put your trust and faith in Christ? And God was shaping circumstances. God was sending people. God was enlightening your understanding. God mercifully allowed you to experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit, convicting you of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Talk about God working. How about thanking God for all he did before we got saved? I mean, for goodness sakes. The fourth thing that we lose is courage. The fourth thing that we lose, when we misplace our hope and things don't go the way that we want them to, when we start that trajectory towards hopelessness, pretty soon, pretty soon we, have, we lose courage. We want to quit. Look, we want to give up. We want to thro throw our hands up. It's hard enough for us just to get out of bed and even to, to imagine to imagine fulfilling the purpose of God in our life because all of the air spiritually has gone out from us. All of the air has gone out. I want to tell you, when you're in that spot, that is not the Spirit of God working in your life. That's the adversary. That's the devil. He wants to flatten you spiritually. That's his desire. You say, well, what's the answer? The, the fresh, new breath of God's Spirit inflating your life and giving you strength. God wants to blow you up. In the best way. The final thing here that uh, I think we lose, and this is, I'm just really, I could have presented all of these things in the positive, but I wanted to present them in the negative in a sense, you know, as things that we can lose because sometimes we just need the warning presented like that. We lose faith in God. You know, like when, when we start going down this road, pretty soon we lose sight. We don't just, we don't just lose perspective. 
We lose our faith in God. We stop trusting the Lord. That fundamentally he is behind all things and he is working everything together for the good of those who love him and those who are the called according to his purpose. I want to remind you today that when you lose sight of God, you will lose your way. When you lose sight of God, you will lose your way. And, you know, we may press on you, hey, be in communion with God. Be present with the people of God. Don't forsake the assembling together of the brothers and sisters as is the manner of some. Hey, make sure the book is open. Make sure you're praying on a daily basis. Why is that the case? Because you know how quickly we lose sight of God? You know, I know the tendency in my own heart. And so that discipline of communion, I think, is vital. What did she do? Well, she looked back to the promise so she could look forward and hope. She remembered what it was that God had promised, and she anchored herself to that so that she could look forward and hope. Remember today, we look back to our promises, the promises in the scripture for us, so that we can look forward in hope. And I want to remind you as well that God's promises don't help us have hope. God's promises are our hope. God's promises are our hope because fundamentally they lead us to him. You ready? You all right with that? Good. I need to take a breath. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. This is a long scripture. Uh, maybe today you're going through some, some tribulation and difficulty. This is really good because this is going to supply to you purpose in the midst of it. Paul says this, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God and all the house of God said, amen. amen. That's, that's good. Uh, so our hope, just tying off that last section, our hope is in the glory of God. That's what, that's what we're aimed for. That's what we're hoping for. Not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Is that a, a promise that you have tattooed on your arm? Not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that, knowing that this is not a question. It's not, you know, uh, some assumption this is not just what some Christians think. This is what we all think because we know that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance produces character. And what does character produce? Hope. Now, hope does not disappoint. You'll never be put to shame. God's not going to leave you out, hanging out to dry. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Listen, there's purpose Paul is talking about, hey, how is it that we handle tribulation and difficulty in our life? Well, this is how we handle it. We remember that our hope is in fundamentally the glory of God. Every detail, every circumstance, everything that God is doing in our heart, we are praying, moves towards fundamentally his glory. And you know, because that's our hope, we in fact glory in tribulations. We don't shy away from it. We're not just always praying that God would take us out of it because there's something that God is doing. This is a hard truth today, but one I want you to really consider. The tribulation that you wish God would take away is the tool he uses to develop real hope in your life. You're like, do I, do I clap for that? Because if I do, is God going to bring tribulation into my life? You know, it's like the person, man, when I got saved, people, so many people were like, dude, whatever you do, because I got saved in Southern California, dude, whatever you do, don't pray, don't pray for patience, bro. 
Because, you know, when you pray for patience, you know, God, this is what he's going to do. And you know what I learned is God's going to do it anyway. God's going to do it anyway. Like, he's just going to bring it anyway. And why does, he, why does he bring the difficulty and the adversity? Well, he does so because he is teaching us to persevere. He's teaching us to persevere. You know, when, when you have a garden and the climate is difficult, it causes the roots to go deeper, right? If the water is all sitting at the surface, the root structure of a plant will just stay at the surface. The problem with that is when the storm comes and the wind blows, it blows that tree or blows that plant away because the roots, the the roots, (laughs) I have no idea what that is. The roots are not embedded deep within the soil. So God, in a similar way, brings tribulation, allows tribulation, so that there's perseverance, so that you learn to endure, so that you don't quit, so that you don't give up, so that you learn to wait patiently upon God. So you're not just looking for the way out, the way of escape. I don't like it. I'm getting a divorce. Stop. Endurance. Stop. Perseverance. Press into what God is doing. Press into what the Lord is doing. I don't like this situation in my life, and so I'm just going to pull the parachute because, you know, it's all about my satisfaction and my my sense of self-gratification. No, it's not. It's about the glory of God. And so he teaches us endurance to press on and in pressing on and not giving up and quitting, God is shaping our character. He's molding us and he's, he's refining our character so that our character reflects him. There's a godliness to our character. You know, I don't want to go into all this, but when silversmiths refine silver, you know, they put it in the crucible, they heat it up. And what what happens is all of the impurities in the silver, they float to the surface, they take a special tool, and they scrape off the impurities. And then they let it cool, and they heat it up again, and those impurities, and they refine, they, they do this process over and over again until the silversmith can see his image reflected on the surface of the silver. And this is what God is doing in your life. God is allowing you to go through tribulation and difficulty, and as he's doing that, he is refining your character so that one day, as he looks at you, he is going to see the image of his very own son. It's, it's perseverance, right? It's character, and as God is building that character, he's teaching us to hope in him and him alone. When medicine can't heal it, government can't solve it, friends can't fix it, we have a savior that can handle it. I want to remind you of that today. Uh, The second thing that I see in in Eve's life is this. She saw Seth as answered prayer. She saw Seth as answered prayer. And, you know, she vocalizes this. God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel. She recognized. And, you know, like, I mean, it wasn't, we'll get to this in a second, but it wasn't just a matter of circumstances. She recognized that God was doing something. Like I said to you, her situation probably felt hopeless. Abel was obviously the individual through whom the seed was going to come. Messiah had not come yet, and so she wasn't sure if maybe Abel was the seed or through Abel the seed would come. And maybe she knew this because just going back to the sacrifices that were made, Abel clearly walked by faith, whereas Cain didn't. I'm not necessarily sure. But that hope that she had in her son being the seed was taken away when he was murdered. And then her eldest son, Cain, the murderer, 
wandered away into distant lands. He bailed. He was gone. So she was left there with no one except herself and her husband and maybe possibly the daughters that they had had as well. Probably, with respect to the seed, she might have felt like it was over. And behind the scene, remember with me, there was a spiritual battle that was taking place. These weren't just a matter of unfortunate circumstances that had happened to this family. Satan was working to destroy the purpose of God. You know, Satan will destroy, he'll seek to destroy anything that gives God glory. So when Adam and Eve were in the midst of the garden and there was this beautiful communion between themselves and God, Satan was offended. You know, he came as the serpent and he sought to destroy that great good thing that God was doing because it was bringing glory to God and Satan wants that glory for himself. Somehow he recognized as well that Abel was probably the seed or the one through whom the seed was going to come. And while Cain was the tool of destruction, the adversary was the one who was behind it. I'm not just saying pulling strings because you remember, we can never say Satan made me do it. But there was an influence. There was an influence because the adversary saw something that was going to glorify God. And I want to remind you, any time you set out to bring glory to God, and by the way, the first time you did that was when you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Like you made a decision to pursue God. And, and as you did that, the Bible says you were conveyed out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son, who is the object of the Father's affection. So, whereas at one point in time you were under the prince of the power of the air, you were a child of disobedience, you were a child, a son or a daughter of wrath, thank you for coming this morning, it's just the truth, Ephesians chapter 2, if you don't believe me, you were on his side, you were doing his bidding, but when you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, now you really did become the enemy to the adversary, and so there's a target that is painted on your back. Some of you are like, man, my life was easier before I was a Christian. Well, guess what? That's because you've aligned yourself with God. You're now an enemy of the enemy. And it should come as no surprise. Anytime you take a step of faith to bring glory to God, he is going to be right there. And I'm not, I'm not saying today you should be afraid of the enemy. I'm not making him the co-equal opposite of Jesus. I'm just saying this is a reality that you have to deal with. Every time you take a step of faith to glorify God, guess what's going to happen? Like expect adversity to come. Hey, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to help in children's ministry. And then all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose in your life. Well, God's glory is worth it, and so are those kids, so don't quit. Don't quit. Press on and expect when you live for God, the enemy is going to attack. But I want to remind you as well, what Satan destroys, God resurrects. What Satan destroys, God resurrects. I mean... I mean, I don't want to do Satan's thinking for him here, all right? But I could imagine that he's like, man, dealt with that issue, handled able, seed resolved, no problem, I win the day. And God's like, nope, nope, you will never win the day. The adversary, the devil, never wins the day in your life. Even though, even though there's adversity that will come, God always has the power to resurrect and in fact, I want to encourage you, God can do more in a day than you can in a lifetime. God can do more in a day than you can in a lifetime because some of you are thinking, I've been praying for him to resurrect. 
That thing was destroyed. That thing was broken. And, you know, it's been nothing but pain, Pastor. I've been waiting for God to resurrect. Well, you know what? God will obviously in heaven answer all of those things. But sometimes in this life, he will bring the miracle. And don't fall short just as he is about to answer. You know, there's that temptation. The the devil will wait. Like, say, for instance, you're running 12 laps, and you're on the 11th lap, and, you know, they've been relatively smooth. He will wait until the 11th lap to bring his full attack so that you fall just before you get over the finish line. That's how the adversary works. And he works like that in our relationships. I want to encourage you, when things are at their lowest, God may just about to work. He may just about, I don't know how, let me, let me rephrase this. He's going to do something great. Moses came when Israel was at its lowest Samuel when the way of God had been forsaken Josiah when the word of God had been forgotten David when Saul had failed our God redeems and that is the message of scripture now listen I want to share with you a couple of quick videos today of people who really experienced the power of God working in their relationships I want to I, I pray you're encouraged by this let's go ahead and roll the videos I was very close to him because I was his only daughter. Our relationship got really difficult as I became an adult um, because he, um, I would say that he in a way was trying to control. The heart behind it is uh, love, but was it delivered that way? I did not feel that. Uh, We went through a trauma, which really kind of, I think, was what almost completely tore our relationship apart. So he, my brother, died, and um, he committed suicide. And it was in front of all of us, my family. We had to, we, um, it was very traumatic. How could it have been prevented or what we could have done differently? There's this guilt that comes along with that. So that's why um, the relationship was really, really strained. At the time, you think that the situation might be so hopeless but God's timetable is so different. And so if it wasn't for the Lord, I probably would have no relationship with my dad. So I'm grateful that because of him, I can still laugh with my dad. I can still tell my dad I love him. We can still hug each other and hang out in the same room. And he prays for me and I pray for him. Um, We just started facing a lot more challenges and struggles within our marriage we would take two steps forward, and then we would take like five steps back. It always felt like. You know, I I was going through a lot of the uh, uh, generational patterns and generational, um, what did I do? Consequences. Consequences. I decided to separate. We were working on ourselves individually, and then little by little we started reconnecting. We eventually sought counseling here at Calvary, met with Pastor Jim. Like I moved back in. I'm, we're now working on our marriage. Um, hopefully planning a church wedding later on down the road. You know, when we separated, it was October 10th. So it's, uh, it's literally Sunday coming up. So it's, uh, it's a big for us. You know, now it's like everything that we do. Um, our foundation, our foundation is, God. is God. You know, before we have a rocky foundation and, um, you know, we saw the outcome of the separation with that. But now it's like um, we're, 
we're confident that we have a strong uh, foundation through God. The first nine of years of our marriage were very trying, you know, but God miraculously delivered me from a, a, a really bad drug addiction, you know. But come to realize I never really dealt with those deeper issues, you know. Mid-2019, um, I was basic. I was unfaithful to my husband. We both wanted to bail. We both wanted to bail. So for all intents and purposes, the flesh, we were done. But God, there, there's the pause. But God, you know, God has always had other plans. I just started immersing myself into it. It's like, okay, I need to just fill my, my heart, my head and my heart with the Lord, with anything of the Lord, you know. I spent so many years serving and doing that I didn't know who I was. I didn't know who I was in him. I know what he did for me, but I, I didn't, you know, so I had to surrender myself. I also knew um, that my wife never gave up on me after nine years of being a drug addict. You know, that had a lot to do with me not wanting to give up on her. And in the same way, God never gave up on me. You know, I knew it. So where God has brought us just from January of this year till now is it's like night and day. I'm so grateful. All the glory to him. All the glory to our Lord. It's awesome. We have a, a scripture I want to give you today. Isaiah 43, 18. And would encourage you to write this down. It says, Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And, you know, what I do appreciate about Eve is she recognized Seth as an answer to God's prayer. Like, she could have just viewed Seth as a result of circumstances, right? Guy, gal, married, uh, husband, wife, come together sexually. Well, of course, they're going to have a kid. But it wasn't just a matter of, hey, we had a kid, We've got a replacement. We've got God's appointed. In fact, Seth means put or placed, set, appointed, established. When she looked at this boy, she recognized that he, in fact, was God's answer, that God answered prayer. Please recognize the prayer that God is answering in your life today. And I think about the story of this guy. He's working on uh, the roof of a house really high up. And he's hammering away. All of a sudden, he starts sliding down the roof. And as he's on his way down, he is praying to God, God, save me. You know, I'm, a, I'm about to fall to my death. And then as he's sliding, just before he gets over the edge, his belt hooks onto a nail. And he stops. And he says, hey, God, never mind. I'm good to go. <laughs> the, the, the nail saved me. And, you know, you can just imagine, right? You can just imagine God saying, really? Really? How about I put that nail there, buddy, so that the prayer would be answered? And let's just remember, I think I, I just appreciate Eve in the midst of her trauma and crisis. She was able still to recognize God's answers to prayer. It didn't mean the pain was gone. It didn't mean that she wasn't still in trauma but she could recognize. People began to call on the name of the Lord. What did she do? She took the pain and the trauma and she placed it into the hands of God. God, I'm going to trust you with this. God, it still hurts. But Father, I don't want to allow this pain to totally obscure my perspective to the extent where I can't see what you're doing in my life today and find joy in it. And so she took the pain, she placed it in his hands, 
And she saw the answers to prayer that God was bringing into her life, and she praised him for it. The third and final thing that I appreciate about this story in Eve's life was that she was part of a bigger picture. And I just want to really quickly remind you of this today. It's not just about what God is doing in your life. It's about what God is doing in everyone's life, ultimately, so that he can receive the glory for it. Now, genealogies are not our favorite portions of Scripture. And I know some of you, it's like, man, you just, you just either get through it as quick as you can um, or you just skip it completely. But Genesis chapter 5 is one of the most important chapters in the book of Genesis because it traces the genealogy from Adam all the way to Noah. And then, is, listen, as you connect this with the New Testament, when you look at Luke's gospel, what happens is you have Jesus traced all the way back to Seth. And so what, what was it that God was doing? Well, God was establishing the line through which Messiah would ultimately come, an unbroken chain of individuals that would ultimately lead to the incarnation of his very own son. In fact, Genesis chapter 5 is a fulfillment of Genesis chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. And I'm just saying this to you today. Not only was God working in the moment to, to bless Adam and Eve, but there was a bigger picture of what God was doing that I do believe in some way they recognized. You are a, you're part of a bigger story. You're part of his story. The Bible is a meta-narrative. There are many stories that all converge into one theme, and the theme is the redeeming love of God for humanity. It's almost like there are all of these streams that turn into rivers and into the tributaries that feed into this one big ocean. Your life matters, and what God is doing in your life matters. One day we will set a crown upon his head, and that crown, I think, will be encrusted with many jewels, diamonds and emeralds and rubies and sapphires, all of those representing God's work in an individual's life so that there will be a day, there will be a day that we will proclaim this. Revelation chapter 7, the Bible says, after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, can you guys say this with me today? Now I just want you to know it says with a loud voice. Okay? Can you do a loud voice? This is practice for heaven. Are you ready? Say it like you mean it. One, two, three. Salvation belongs... Amen. Amen. Good job. Everything, everything in your life, every difficulty, every adversity, every tribulation is being used by God so that one day we will all stand before him together and we'll be able to say all praise, glory, honor, and blessing to be, be to God and to the Lamb. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Lord, we thank you today for the hope that you bring to us. And 
I do ask, we ask together, anchor us to your promises. Help us to make that choice. Help us, God, to see the answered prayer, both small and large in our lives. And Father, we pray that you would help us to see our life within the lens of your story. God, and that we have the privilege of, of being part of this story. Every circumstance of our life should be feeding into your eternal glory. Today is, we're closing in prayer. I want to ask you a question. Have you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ? You know, maybe you've been living your life struggling with value and meaning, and, and you're not finding it in the world. And there's, there is a, just a sense of emptiness within your life. And you've tried... You've tried to find that thing that's going to supply purpose. And, and yet in all of that trying, it's left you emptier. I want to just tell you today that, that you've been created for something more than anything that the world could offer you. You've been created for the Son of God. You've been created to be filled with the Holy Spirit You've been created to have divine purpose and meaning so that the details of your life, all of them will add to the eternal glory of God. Today, if you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, now is the time. God has been calling you. The Bible says for those who believe that the love of God has been shed abroad in their hearts and today God wants to pour his love into your life. He wants to bring the healing. He wants to bring the strengthening. He wants to bring the hope where there has been hopelessness. He wants to lift the cloud of confusion and despair. He wants to fill your heart with true joy. Today, will you put your trust and faith in him? If this is you this morning, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you right now. God bless you. Thank you so much. Today is the day right here in the center, over here on my left, over here in the back. It's awesome. Stretch your hand up high if this is you. God loves you. I see your hand in the back on my right. See you in the back. He's been working in your life for some time here on my left. Thank you so much. And today is your day. Today's the day for you to take this step of faith that he's been calling you to take, to come to him just as you are. You know, you don't have to get your, your life perfect. You don't have to fix the problems. No, you come with the, the wreckage and the carnage, and what he does is he cleanses you and forgives you, and he gives you a new beginning. Anybody else? I also want to ask today, if uh, you're a believer in this place, have you maybe misplaced your hope? Have you allowed maybe a sense of hopelessness to, to influence you? Have you been struggling with the condition of the world or maybe overwhelmed by your personal tribulation to the extent where you've lost sight? You've lost sight, and, and in some way, you've maybe lost your way a little bit. 
It's not that you don't belong to God. It's not that you're a child of God. But today, you need to recenter yourself and refocus yourself on God and his promises. You need to let the Lord breathe a breath of life, his breath of life into your heart again to fill you with real spiritual strength. Man, you've felt like you've been on empty and you're, you're barely getting through the day. Sometimes you feel it's just like on the fumes. God today wants to fill your heart with hope. Today, brother or sister, is this you? Would you raise your hand so I can pray for you as well? God bless you. Thank you and thank you. See your hand and yours here in the front. God bless you. He loves you. This is about the love of God. See your hand in the back. See your hand over here on my left. He does not abandon or forsake his children. He does not. Today, there's an opportunity for you to place something in his hands and to trust him. Father, thank you so much, God, for these today who have raised their hands and their hearts, and you're the one, God. You're the answer. You're the solution. You're the only one who can bring the power and the strength and the courage and the hope. And Father, we pray today that you would do exactly that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together today. Listen, for those of you who raise your hands, we want to encourage you today. We're going to give you the opportunity uh, just to come on forward, all right? To bring whatever it is that you have in your hands, the need that you have. And I, I really want to encourage you, please don't leave right now. Uh, hang tight. This is the most important part of our service. But whatever need that you have right now, you need to place it into God's hands. I don't stand between you and God. Jesus stands between you and God. And you need to give that that issue, that need, maybe it's salvation, maybe it's discouragement, maybe it's hopelessness, maybe it's a lack of strength, maybe you're battling depression. Today, you can take that thing and place it in his hands. I want to lead you in a very simple prayer, and let's ask God to move among us. So as Tony leads us in a song of worship, if you raise your hand today, come on forward right now, stand next to one of our follow-up leaders, I'm going to lead you in prayer. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. been so, so kind to me. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves and When someone responds to the gospel, the church should be like on fire for that.
Listen, I know, I know there's more of you today. I know there's more of you. We're going to give you a minute. God is speaking to your heart. Are you, do you really want to leave this place without placing in the hands of God the thing that you've been struggling with or battling with or fighting? Today, there's an opportunity. Don't miss what it is that God desires to do in your life. And there is a special thing that God does when you come forward and you place whatever it is into his almighty hands. And maybe you're just, a, you know, you're just struggling with something in your eyes it's small. It's not small to the Lord. You know, take that step of faith today and entrust it to him. And so we're going to have just another moment of worship. And if you raise your hand, maybe this is you and you didn't raise your hand, come forward right now. Simple request. Let, let God do. And I'm just telling you, that's awesome. Hey, listen, don't forget. Don't forget that. Don't forget that when God is doing something and glorifying himself, the adversary, the adver adversary is there saying no. So don't listen to him. Come forward this morning. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no God speaks, and every week He speaks, and He's been touching you, and you are, you're just so stubborn. And I say that to you in love, because I'm a stubborn person too. But don't be so stubborn that you resist the love of God. I mean, there's no mountain He won't climb up. There's no door He won't break through or kick through. Like, God has come after you. God has pursued you. He's the one pursuing you because he loves you. Look, he has been knocking on the door of your heart and you have been saying no. And you are the one who is going to suffer in the end. Today, today, would you say yes to him? Today, would you lay down the pride and the stubbornness and the tendency to dig the heels in? Today, listen, maybe all of that's generated because you are, you're so afraid. The truth is, that you have this facade of strength, but, but the reality is deep inside you are just afraid. And you 
strong man, you need to trust in the Lord. You need to trust in the Lord today. You need to come with that fear, the fear of the unknown. You need to come with the absence of trust and faith. You need to come with all of the dysfunction and chaos. And you need to leave it in his hands today and do what he's called you to do so he can do what he's desired to do. This is your call today. It's your call. There's somebody, there's somebody that God is speaking to right now and you know who you are. So Tony's gonna lead us in one more moment. Don't, don't miss this. Don't walk out as God has spoken so clearly to you, you're like, well, pastor, you just set me up. Now everyone's going to know that, and I'll identify with you. I'm stubborn too, okay? So you can come down and stand right here, and I'll stand with you. I'll stand with you. You're no different than me. God has spoken to you right now. Leave it at the altar today and let him do a work. No shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, I won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. I'm going to lead you guys in prayer. Let's bow our heads together. This, this is what God has ordained. He loves you. And all that he has required is that you look to Jesus, his son, in faith. And as you pray today, this is, this is what you're going to be praying, that you trust in Christ, that you trust in him as your savior, that you believe that he died on the cross and that he rose again and that you're choosing to follow him.
And the promise of God to you is that you will be his son, his daughter. You will be filled with his Holy Spirit. You will have a heavenly inheritance that no one could ever steal from you. You have purpose in your life and that every single detail feeds into the eternal glory of God. And today, he is going to do a mighty work in your life. You just follow me in prayer today. I want to encourage you to make this your prayer out loud to God. God, today, I give you my life. And today I choose to trust in Jesus. I believe he died for me and that he rose again, that he is my savior, that he is the Lord of my life, God, you have forgiven me. Fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit and fill me with your hope. In Jesus' name I pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen.